we're glad that we're able to do that. But we started on the first Sunday night of this year talking about the book of Judges. And as we did last year with the book of Joshua, we said that we're going to try to do our best through the book of Joshua. We didn't quite get through Joshua, but we were going to try to get through the book of Judges. Well, we're on the last Sunday night of the month, and we're still in chapter number 2. And so I don't know if we'll make it or not. We're going to try and do our best. There's a lot of good things in the book of Judges. We chose this book, as you well know, because we're, our theme of the year is, uh, has to do with the Lord being in control, and uh, He rules in the kingdoms of men. And so when we look at the book of Judges, that's one of the best examples that we can find is the book of Judges as God is ruling in the kingdoms of men in, in, in his own kingdom among his own people. And so we're so thankful that, that we have this book. Tonight, if you go to the book of Judges chapter number 2 and you begin reading about verse number 11 and go through verse number 19, that section of chapter number 2 pretty well sums up the rest of what we read in the book of Judges. It, it pretty well tells us the things that we're going to find over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. There will be different men that we'll read about. There will be some women that we read about. And you know the stories of the book of Judges. You've heard them and read them and studied them before, but we look at them in regard to the things that hopefully will be helpful to us this year. But in the book of Judges, chapter number 2, we have the story that will continue to be repeated over and over again. What we find there we might call a cycle. That's found there in the book of Judges. And here we see that it starts out with a sin that is mentioned in regard to the children of Israel and what they're doing. And then after that, we find that there's sorrow among the people because of the sin that they have and they cry out to God. And then following that, we find the salvation of God that comes to them. He sends a deliverer to them so that they will be delivered from their persecutors. And things go well for a while. We have some stability until that judge dies. And then following that, we go right back to the sin again. And so that's the cycle that goes over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Now, as we think about this cycle, there are some things that we need to look at and think about in regard to that. One of the things that I want to call to your attention tonight is this. God sent wake-up calls to His people. He sent the wake-up calls to the people of, his, uh, of this day, the day that uh, we're reading about among the judges. And, and we might find one such uh, example or one such instance of God telling us that He did that back there in the book of Judges, chapter 2, beginning at verse 14 and going through verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress." Notice on the screen, if you will, that I have some things that are bolded and underlined. And, and you notice that each one of those, He gave them over. This is God. He's, he's turning, as it were, these people over to the, to the plunderers. 
He sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies. The hand of the Lord was against them. And they were in great or terrible distress. These things that God was doing was for them to be able to understand that they needed to change. They needed to have a different attitude and a different lifestyle that they were to live. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many remember, or how many remember, 9-11-2001? That was the, the year and the day that our nation was attacked. The planes were flown into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and so forth. There are several here who, are, who remember that. But I want to ask you another question. Do you remember what you may have done? I don't know for sure. But do you remember what you may have done on that Tuesday night? Now, the attack happened on Tuesday morning. Do you remember what you may have done on that Tuesday night? I remember well what I was doing on that Tuesday night. Our elders there at Atwood had called a special service. We decided to meet that night to have prayer and and to talk about what had happened during the day. And they asked me during the day to prepare a lesson that we could present that night And I still have a copy of that lesson. The title was Why. Why? Why did all of these things happen? My text was found in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse number 13, where Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are the good things, he asked, or the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord deliver us out? of the land of Egypt. As you look at that, you know, there's that question, why? But but do you remember that for a brief time after that, we had a resurgence in interest in the spiritual things of life? We picked up new faces at church that hadn't been in a long time. Some perhaps had never been. And that took place for a short time, that wake-up call that came, came for a short time and only a short time. The same was repeatedly true with Israel in the day of the judges. God would send his wake-up calls. He would give them over to the plunderers over and over again. He would sell them into the hands of the surrounding enemies. He would turn his back on them when they went out, and his hand would be against them. And they would be in great, great distress. And so if we look at them, we see them, we understand that, that this is a, a, a cycle. And God used that distress of these Israelites to drive them to their knees. Every time they would be so distressed that they would begin to call on God again. And once Israel's situation was changed by God, the enemy being and them getting themselves back on their feet again, if you will, the tranquility of the nation restored, everything going well for them again, they would once again become spiritually indifferent. They would turn their back on God again. Over and over and over, we see that. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 17 through 19, we read about that. The Bible says, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after the other gods, 
and bowed down to them, they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges, the Lord was with the judge. He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of the afflicted, uh, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Whenever the judge died, they turned back, were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Does that sound familiar? In our own nation, things maybe have gotten worse than they were even before the attack that took place in our own nation now some 16 years ago almost. And so tonight as we, as we contemplate these things, I think we need to take time to talk about these short-term changes. The short-term changes that the Israelites had so many times. The short-term changes that many in our nation have from time to time. And even the short-term changes among Christian brothers and sisters that take place from time to time. So we'll spend the rest of our time tonight in dealing with some of these issues and, and talking about how to have more long-term change. As we think about the short-lived changes, one of the things that we note about them is they tend to be external in nature. In, in other words, we, we change for the little bit, but we really did not internalize the things that, that we really needed to have. In other words, a better way of saying that probably is the change happened on the outside, but it never really came from the heart. And we act, don't we, from the heart. The Bible speaks about from the heart the issues of life come forth. The heart never really got changed on these people. Did you notice that the Bible said about them that they really never gave up the things that were bad? They cried out to the Lord. The Lord delivered them but they never really gave up these things. In other words, they changed the outside, but the inside was still as bad and ugly as it had always been. And it continued to get worse and worse and worse. Whenever we think about these short-term changes, many times they are simply a response to fear. Fear of the things that are happening to us. You know, it's amazing how religious and how spiritual people can get when we get in danger, when there's something bad that faces us. You know, you hear about uh, there are no atheists in foxholes, and I'm not sure that that's always true, talking to some of the guys who've been in foxholes. But you know what? So many people, when they are facing something that is quite dangerous, they begin to call on the name of the Lord. And the only time some people will ever think about God it's when they're afraid. When the fear disappears, so does God. Now that doesn't mean that God himself disappears. That just means he disappears out of their life. That's what we have. They were in distress. They feared for their lives. They feared for what they owned. They feared for their families. They feared for all of the things that they held to be dear. And because... They feared they turned to God. When God delivered them, 
They got right back to normal. They got right back to the way things always were. You know, we, we don't need to let fear be the only motivator, do we? We don't let, need to let the fear of a loved one passing away be the only reason we ever pray. And so many do that when someone becomes sick and they stand at the hospital bed and they are so afraid that that person is going to die that they turn back to God. Or when we, when we ourselves get sick and we're afraid that we're going to, to not be able to recover, we will turn ourselves to God. Don't let fear be the, be the main response. But so many times that is the reason that people respond, and it's the reason that, or at least one reason, that short-term change is all that you have. And other times, other times it's based simply on uh, convenience. And when we think about that, the decisions are half-hearted, if you will, decisions, which, which are made only when it's convenient for the individual and when it really doesn't require any sacrifice on my part. You know, as long as, as, long as I can, can make this change and it really doesn't cost me anything, it doesn't cost me my time, it doesn't cost me my talents, it doesn't cost me, you know, my prestige among anybody in the world, then I will be there. As long as it's convenient for me, uh, then I will change. But, but you bring some of those things in and, man, I'm right back to the way that I was. Half-heartedness and mediocrity... They don't inspire anybody to do anything. It just doesn't work that way. Remember what's said in the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. There in the Bible, we read about the, the seed that's sown, and in particular in this case, it's the seed that's sown among the thorns. Do you remember what the Bible says? These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You see, that's what happens sometimes when we're just based on basing our change on convenience, when, when other things that we deem more important, that we feel like, that we think are more important to us, our wealth, our, our prestige, or whatever it may be, when these things become endangered, what do we give up? Well, if we've turned only because of convenience, we give up God. And that's so sad. Not only do we see that, but occasionally when we find these things, uh, these short-term changes, they're based solely on pure emotion. The, the, the emotion is, is what rules the person. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse number 26, the Bible says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You see, the, the wise man in writing here, in saying that there are some who trust in their own mind, he's talking about those who quite often are ruled by emotions. But feelings are no substitute for facts and for faith. I may feel one way today and another way tomorrow, and my whole life may be changed. 
Martin Luther, though we wouldn't agree with the things that he taught, was supposedly asked upon one occasion, occasion, do you feel that you have been forgiven? To which he was supposed to have replied, I don't feel that I have been forgiven, but I know that I am because God says so in his word. That's not just emotion. That's faith. There's a poem that's attributed to Martin Luther that goes hand in hand with this. And even though it's attributed to Martin Luther, I'm not quite sure that he was the author of it because of the, the poetry being so, uh, uh, ha- having so much rhyming in our English language. It goes like this, though. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, Naught else is worth believing. Though all of my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Now, if Mr. Luther wrote it, Uh, more power to him, but, you know, as I look at it, knowing that he was a German speaker, I don't particularly think he did, but the sentiment is the same. God's Word is what we stand upon. God's Word is what delivers us. God's Word is what makes the difference in our life. And so, when we trust in it, rather than our own mind, rather than our own feelings, we stand more on solid ground and are more sure uh, of uh, staying true and faithful much, much longer. What if I am basing my uh, faith or basing my religion or basing my actions solely on pure emotion? What happens when I get aggravated with somebody? What happens when somebody disappoints me? What happens when... All things don't go my way and I become frustrated. Well, I turn based on my emotion to some other direction. And quite often it is away from God. Not only that, but sometimes the short-term changes or these short-lived changes are based on peer pressure. Now, there was an aged woman, and you probably have heard this before about the woman who had lived to the age of 102. Somebody asked her what the benefit of was of living to that age, and her answer was, well, there's no peer pressure. You know, that, that may be right. I don't know. But how many remember the days when during gospel meetings there were several young people who, uh, who would respond to the invitation to be baptized for the remission of sin? And... and I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but there have been numerous times in my own life that I have spoken with people, and people who have asked, uh, talked to me have asked me, would you baptize me because I did it during a gospel meeting when X number of people, when X number of teenagers were obeying the gospel, and I'm not sure that I obeyed for the right reason. I went forward just because... Friends went forward and wanted to be baptized for the remission of their sins. 
You know, if that is the case with many folks, then why is it not the case so many times, and it truly and truly is the case, that we have this short-term change, but it's because it's what the people around us are doing. What, what our neighbors down the street is what they're doing. And so we can't let that. Going along with a crowd for the sake of peer pressure or peer acceptance, it'll never last in the wrong, long run because before long the crowd will change. And so these are some reasons that, that we have short-term change. But what are some of the real things about change? Somebody, and this is not original with me, said that there are three R's of lasting change. What are the three R's of lasting change? Well, if I go in the right direction, the first one is repentance. Repentance itself. In the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, at verse 14 in the Old Testament, we have these words of the Lord recorded. He said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and forgive their sin, and heal their land. What did he say that they needed to do? Repent. They needed to change their lifestyle. They needed to change their ways. Repent of their evil ways. And that's the way God would forgive them. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, we find these words. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see that what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. Paul says that, that sometimes people are, are sorry for things that, that, that they do, things, actions that they take, uh, things perhaps that they say, sometimes they're sorry for that, but that's not repentance. You see, the godly sorrow that he speaks about moved them to repentance. It moved them to change. It prompted them to do the things that were right so that their life was changed totally. And uh, notice that he said at the end of that passage that they had proved themselves at every point innocent in that matter. One of the things that we truly must do if we're going to change our life long term is to change our mind. Change our mind and change our allegiance. Change our allegiance from ourselves or from whoever it may be to change our allegiance to God. We turn from sin to something or someone whenever we're talking about true repentance. And that true someone is God. And so one of the three R's is repentance. The second one is relationship. In Deuteronomy 4 verse 29 the Bible says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God 
and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, as, as we come to repent and change our mind about the, the sinful actions and the sinful life and begin to seek after God in the true uh, in truth, uh, he says, that's when you're going to find him. That's when you're going to have the true relationship with him. There are many Christians in our world today who desperately need to come to know the living, loving, true, merciful, forgiving, gracious God that we have. You see, they have religion, but not relationship. They're religious about walking through a door somewhere and coming to a worship service, but you ask them about the God that they serve, and they know very little about Him. They know I'm supposed to be somewhere on Sunday, but they don't know the God that they're serving. And so we need to have that relationship. We need to come to understand more about the God of the universe, to understand who He is and how He has revealed Himself to us in this book. This book contains rules by which we are to live our life. But it's not written just as a rule book. It's written as a book to reveal God, who He is, that He is the great I Am, that He is the one who rules the universe, that He is the one who had mercy upon us, even though we had sinned against Him, had enough mercy on us to make it possible for us to have His forgiveness. We need to understand that about God. And when we don't, we don't have the right kind of life. We have religion a lot of times, but not the relationship that we have. Isn't it amazing how the New Testament in particular talks about relationship? When Jesus was talking to his disciples about how to pray, when they had asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, how did he teach them to pray? Well, he started out like this. Our God. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. It's relationship. When it comes to Jesus himself, the Bible very clearly points out that he himself considers himself our brother. Relationship. He speaks about the relationship that Christ has with his church. Do you remember in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5? He speaks about husbands and wives. And when we're thinking so much that he's talking about marriage, he is giving us principles in marriage. Paul stops pretty short right there and says, I'm talking about the relationship that Christ has with his church. It's as though we are his bride. And so we look from passage to passage throughout the New Testament that stresses relationship with our Father, with our brother, with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we seek to live a life here on this earth. Until we gain that, we gain very little. Religion becomes rote. Religion becomes 
such a, a, a hard thing for us to do that you have to beg people to come and to worship. It's because they don't understand sometimes that they have an opportunity to be with God, to spend time with Him, to spend time with Christ. We need to understand more about relationship because that helps us to have long-term change in our life. But thirdly tonight, there's remembrance. One of the three R's of genuine lasting change is remembrance. Somebody said the past is valuable as a guidepost, but dangerous if used as a hitching post. You know, sometimes we hitch ourselves to the past and talk about the way things used to be, as though that was the very best of times. And sometimes they were the worst of times, but in our minds, a lot of times, they were the best of times because that's the way they used to be. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about what is spoken of in Isaiah 46 at verse 9. Remember the former things, God says, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. You see, God was instructing his people to remember what all he had done in the past. Remember the things that are of old. Remembrance is something that that helps us to continue on the straight and narrow, on the right path. You remember, speaking of remembering, what is said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. It's there that Paul gives the account of the Last Supper, the institution of what we know as the Lord's Supper. And Paul writes and says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, the Lord knew the importance of remembering. So much so that he established something in his church so that we remembered him every single week. Time may go by, things may happen. In, the, in our life we may get busy, but God made it clear that we are to gather together one time a week at least and remember him. But did you notice the words that Paul used there in First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven twenty four? He took the bread, he blessed it, or gave thanks for it, and he broke it, and said, "This is my body, which is for you." You see, when we partake of the Lord's supper each first day of the week. It's not just to remember Christ died. It's to remember Christ died for me. For me. Sometimes we fail to get the significance of what God told us to do. Jesus died 
for me. This do in remembrance of me. But when he instituted that supper, he said, This is my body. This is my body that is given for you. Remember. Remember it every week. How could you remember what someone had done for you and then turn your back on them? How could you do that? When we truly remember, it's awfully hard, isn't it? Tears ought to run down our face every time when we think about not just what Christ did, what He did for me. For me. These are three R's. Of lasting, genuine, lasting change. But as we begin to bring our lesson to a close tonight, there's something else that I want us just to consider very, very briefly because I think it's so very important. Isn't it amazing how the people sinned and God delivered them over? And over, and over, and over again. Isn't it amazing that that they did that? Do you realize that the book of Judges itself is an Old Testament illustration of a New Testament command? What do you mean by that? Well, look at the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. How many times did Israel sin against God? I will assure you it was more than seven times. And it was more than seven times that God delivered them from the hands of their enemies. You see, God doesn't require anything of us that He does not do Himself. And so it's amazing that God delivered them over and over and over again. You know what? I'm not sure I've got that kind of patience. But I have to work on it. I have to change if I don't. Is that right? Over and over and over again. But add to that this thought. We're not finished with it yet. Go back, if you will, to the book of Judges, chapter 2, at verse number 19, and remember what is said in that passage. But whenever the judge died, they turned back. They did it over and over and over again. But watch this real carefully. They turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. You see, it seems that with each new generation, 
they became worse and worse and worse. You know, sometimes I wonder, how could it get any worse than it is in our day? And then I think, well, God has continued to allow us to have another day. He called time during the days of Noah, and He destroyed the earth, the people on it, because of their sinful actions. But think what He says here. The children of Israel, with each successive generation, seem to have become worse and worse and worse. But there's one thing about it. Their sinfulness could not exceed God's mercy if they would but repent. No matter how bad they got, if they would turn back to Him, He was willing to deliver them and ultimately, when Christ came on the scene, to forgive them. That is an amazing thought. You know, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, at verse 15, Paul writes these words. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Then Paul adds these words, of whom, English Standard Version, I am foremost. King James Version says, I'm the chief. I, I, I'm, he said, I, it, I was so bad. I was so bad that I blasphemed the name of God. Then I took his children, put them in jail. I was so bad that when they were ready to stone them to death, put them to death in other ways, I'd take the witness stand against them and say, put them to death. And yet, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen to me. Folks, there is nothing that you have done that God will not forgive if you repent, if you change your life. And the same is true with our nation. We worry and wonder about it. But as a nation, we have to reverse the sinful course upon which we find ourselves or we will not survive. Because sin is a reproach to any people. The book of Judges is such a marvelous, splendid book in dealing with how God deals with nations and how He rules in the kingdoms of men. Especially when those nations turn their back on Him. We need to learn the lessons that are found in the book of Judges. To learn the lesson that we need to change, and it shouldn't just be for the short term like these people in the Old Testament, but true repentance that leads us not just to a life here, but to a life of eternity with God. You know, there's another passage in the book of Matthew that deals with the 
question that we read in the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. And it's there that someone comes to Jesus and says, How often will they sin and I forgive them? I can't think of that passage without thinking of the book of Judges and the cycle of sin. But I also have to remember that even when Jesus explained it, this passage in Matthew and the passage in Luke, chapter 17, that he emphasized the fact that if your brother comes to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive them. That's what God does with us. But the repentance is necessary. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not right with God. You know that. You know that His Son's blood is what washes your sins away. You understand the passages in the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and others, that teach that it's at the point of baptism that we meet Christ in His death and it's there that we find the blood that is to wash our sins away. And you desire to have your sins washed away tonight. We'd, we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you're here and you've done that in the past, but you continue to live as though you're not a Christian and your life is not right with God tonight. And you want to come back to Him. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, to help you have that forgiveness as you turn back to God in repentance tonight. If you need to respond to His invitation tonight, do it right now. While we're